Now as a concession, not a command, I say this. I wish that all were as I myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of a kind and one of another. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am, but if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we thank you for your wonderful blessing of bringing us together in the body of Christ and how you call us brothers and sisters as true members of the household of faith. Uh, Would you help us this morning to think about this important aspect of our fellowship together, that those that are gifted toward marriage are given a good gift, and at the same time, those who are gifted to be single have also been given a good gift for your glory and for our mutual upbuilding for the sake of the church. Would you help us to reorient how we think of the single life uh, so that it is a sanctified singleness by your spirit? We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. I'm sure you've noticed that the temperature is beginning to drop, which means a few things are right around the corner. We're gonna have Thanksgiving before you know it. Christmas not long after, and with that comes everyone's favorite game to hate on, White Elephant. You've been subjected to White Elephant, I'm sure, at some point. Uh, It's that game usually played with uh, maybe your small group or your office mates, uh, where you intentionally give the worst possible gifts to each other to have laughs at each other's expense, right? Uh, The whole point of it is to get something truly terrible and useless, wrap it up, and give it to someone you love. Um, I've received some really bad white elephant gifts over the years. Uh, One time I got a sweater that had a personal engraving with someone's initials, that not my initials at all, so I would never possibly ever wear that. I received a water bottle for a sports team that I absolutely loathe, so I made sure I threw that away as soon as I left the party. Um, I'm sure if you played White Elephant, you've had this experience. You got a gift, and after you open it up, you'd say, yeah, I'd rather have not gotten that, right? Um, I went looking on the internet for the worst White Elephant gift I could find. I think this one takes the cake. Uh, Someone opened up a a nice shiny gift to discover a jar of pickled pig lips. And written on the jar, it said, hogs and kisses. I mean, that's both good and terrible at the same time. That's, that's a great white elephant gift. All right, one, one thing white elephant gifts have in common, all of them, right, is that they are all designed to be gifts that no one wants, right? Um, that would be a great mistake to react to someone giving you a truly thoughtful and meaningful gift the same way you respond to opening up one of those useless white elephant gifts. We know the difference, right? Uh, yet I fear that too many Christians today live with an understanding of a good gift that God has given for the benefit of all of us in the church. And they think of it kind of like a useless white elephant gift. Of course, I'm talking about the gift of singleness. Outside the church, we see images and messages that tell us that a life is not worth living unless it's one filled with romance and expression of all of our bodily desires. And inside the church, sometimes even we unintentionally send the message to each other that unless you have somebody, you're a nobody. 
So we need to have our minds and hearts recalibrated by the sure standard of Scripture so we can see it the way God intended it. That like marriage, singleness is a good gift from God. Here's my main burden for you this morning. This is why I want to convince you. That singleness is a good gift that enables great devotion. That singleness, when it's done under the lordship of Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit, it is a good gift that enables great devotion. We'll see that in two sections, going through the verses that were read as well as a couple other sections later in the chapter. I'll give you those to you up front first. Singleness is a good gift. That's what you see in verses six through nine. Singleness is a good gift. And second, singleness enables great devotion. Singleness enables great devotion. That's what you see in 25 through 35. Let's begin that first section. Singleness is a good gift. Now, we have not been studying 1 Corinthians, so allow me to catch you up on what is going on in this book. Um, It is a letter from the Apostle Paul to a church that was in a highly secularized spot and facing a number of very significant challenges. Uh, On one end, they were attracted to power. They loved strong speakers and people with lots of prestige. And so they were drawn to flashy expressions of what they thought to be the power of the Spirit. On the other hand, they were also giving in to the base desires of their bodies. There was rampant sexual immorality that had swept through the church from the culture surrounding them. So Paul wrote a letter to help to encourage them and even correct them with some stark terms to help them get back on the track, to live lives that are glorifying to Christ. The section we're looking at in chapter 7 has one main theme. It's repeated over and over again throughout the, the chapter. It is remain as you are. Uh, that is whatever station of life you find yourself in. If you're married, go ahead and stay married. If you're engaged, go ahead and stay engaged. If you're single, go ahead and stay single. If you're a servant, go ahead and stay a servant. Because there is something that needs to increasingly occupy more and more of our attention, and that is the coming world to come, the inbreaking kingdom of God. So it's in that context of that message of remain as you are, we get this section on singleness. Now, I'm going to draw out five implications from these first three verses in just a second, but I just want to have a bit of transparency here. When I first uh, made my preaching calendar, I understood verse 6 to be part of verses 6 through 9. As I got into my study, I found out the Greek is more complicated than that. And when Paul says, now as a concession, not a command, I say this, I'm now convinced that's actually talking about what came before, which is actually referring to marital relations with each other. So I'm just going to conveniently sidestep verse 6 and jump right into 7 through 9. Uh, So in verse 7 through 9, Paul lays out five aspects of singleness that show that it is, in fact, a good gift. Uh, First, I want to point your attention that Paul doesn't think of it as a deficiency or a lack of good thing or even a curse. He thinks of it as a good, blessed life. You can see that the way he states his own desire I wish that all were as I myself am. That is, my preference, if if I were king of the world, my preference would be 
that everyone would be single. That's a pretty strong statement. And I don't think Paul is either blowing smoke or mistaken in what he is saying. There are real advantages to being single that we will tease out in just a moment. But just at this moment, we need to at least be able to say with Paul that it is good for someone to remain single. He says that down in verse 8. To the married and the widows I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. So right here from the beginning, we ought to be able to dispense with the sort of idea that if someone is not married, there is something defective with them or their life. That, that must mean a mark that they're immature or not godly enough or they're enduring a really hard, hard hardship and that's all we have to say about their single state. And we have to have the room for what Paul says that somehow or the other, singleness is actually good. How does he get there? I think some of the other aspects of it will tease that out. Um, second, singleness is not for selfishness. You see, there was an ancient assumption in Paul's day that if you were not married, that was a sign of you being reckless. Uh, back in the ancient world, it was mainly a patriarchal sort of society that people were living in which meant that women had a very hard time supporting themselves if they didn't have a husband to provide for them. Uh, also, undoubtedly, the way God intended it, families are the building, basic building blocks of society. Children are raised in the context of a marriage. So um, um, the societies back then assumed that you would be married, and they kind of looked down on you if you didn't marry at a fairly young age, usually in your teenage years. Um, there were, we even have a law from uh, one of the Caesars that a, a Roman citizen um, was married and then became widowed. Um, they had two years to remarry or they would start receiving civil penalties for their unwillingness to remarry. So th when Paul wrote this, to have anything positive being said about being single would have been really, really countercultural. Now, realize that we live at a moment that there's a bit of the inverse going on where our assumptions about singleness often come as a period of prolonged adolescence. Uh, singleness usually is attached to the idea of being able to be free to do whatever you want, sleep with whoever you want, and have a life free of responsibilities. Now, the, the Christian concept of singleness doesn't leave us room for the sexual immorality portion of it. Uh, when singleness is talked of in the Bible, it is chastity. Uh, just the chapter before, Paul declared that the sexually immoral will not inherit the kingdom of God. So in light of that, we have to realize that the version of singleness we're being called to is still very countercultural. But it's not a selfish way of living. It's not just for us. Now, in a group of this size, undoubtedly there are people that are single for different reasons. And we should not assume that people are single just because they're being selfish. We also shouldn't assume the inverse, that someone who is single is not selfish in their reasons for being single. Um, so I need to ask the question, have you ever even thought about questions like this? Am I single? Not because I think that this is the life God's particularly called me to, but because I'd kind of rather being alone. 
Am I single because I like to be able to watch Netflix as long as I want to in the evening? Am I single because I prefer 100% of what I make to go to the things I want it to go to? If so, those are not the reasons that singleness is held up in honor and esteem here in Scripture. Uh, those are, in fact, selfish reasons. And I would urge you to reconsider whether the single life you're living is the one you're called to in Christ. Now, I'm going to get into more aspects of how that's teased out in the second half of the sermon, so hang in there. Uh, but for now, it's enough to say singleness is not meant for us to be selfish. Third, well, that sets a pretty high bar for what it means to be a single. And so sometimes Christians have this thought that, wow, I, I get that I'm not supposed to be selfishly single or sinfully single, but that sounds kind of impossible. So you need to hear that singleness is not an impossibility. By the power of the Holy Spirit, it is possible to live a faithful life as a single Christian. Uh, Paul implies as much in verse 7. He says, I wish that all were as I myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. Uh, Paul says that there are different gifts that God gives. I think we are supposed to understand those gifts as gifts from the Holy Spirit, specifically the gifts of being married or not being married. The word underneath that, underneath that gift is the word charismata. It's the same word that if you've ever heard the debates over the charismatic gifts, you know, speaking in tongues, miracles, prophecy, that sort of stuff. Um, if you go to 1 Corinthians 12, all of the gifts of the Holy Spirit are gifts of God's grace. They are charismata, right? Well, here, that same word is being used to describe whether you are called to a life as a single, as a Christian, or to a life as a married person. Now, that implies that whatever station of life you are called to, God grants you what's needed to be faithful within it. Uh, just as surely as the Holy Spirit will give you the power you need to evangelize to your lost neighbor, or to die to self for the sake of a friend's needs, or to discipline yourself to pray and read the Bible, the Holy Spirit is also available to Christians who are single to live a life that glorifies God. Now, that does not mean that being single is easy by any stretch of the imagination. Um, author Sam Albury uh, wrote a great book called Seven Myths of uh, Singleness, of Christian Singleness, and he has a really excellent chapter on this topic. Uh, oftentimes, people have great hardship and even find great difficulty because they are single, but it's not because they've chosen that. It's just the circumstances of their life. For, for one reason or another, they can't find a spouse to marry, or, or maybe they have some other reason. They know they're not ready to be married, and that's a very hard thing. They feel the loneliness and detachment that often comes with that sort of life. Uh, we have to remember that what God calls us to, he also grants us the grace to do. And so if he calls us to live a life of faithfulness as a single Christian, then his Holy Spirit will help us along the way. Fourth, singleness is not for everyone. It's not for everyone. He gets very explicit about this in verses 8 and 9. To the unmarried and the widows, I say, that it's good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry 
for it's better to marry than to burn with passion. According to Paul, there's a subset of Christians who are single, who if they have the opportunity, should strongly consider being married. Now, the way he phrases it is a little uncomfortable to our modern ears. He's burning with passion, unable to control themselves. But what he's getting at is not too hard to figure out. Some of us have a stronger pull toward romantic relationships and the physical intimacy that comes with that. God knows our frame. None of that is a shock to God. And if you are one of those people that feels such a strong tug that remaining single means you're going to have an inordinate amount of temptation, then if you have the opportunity to be married, you should strongly consider it. Um, now, we live at a time when Christians, by and large, are getting married later and less frequently than previous generations. I make that observation because at the same time, instances of sexual sin in the church are also on the rise, which means maybe someone in this room or someone you know who should strongly consider if they have the opportunity to get married, whether it is wise for them to remain single, given this God-given bit of wisdom. Now, one other note on this. This does not mean that self-control is something that goes away for the need of the life of a married Christian. Um, sexual sin destroys marriages and causes problems whether you're married or not. All of us have to exercise self-control, and yet, undoubtedly, one lifestyle has greater challenges in that area than the other, and that would be a life of pure abstinence. So Paul says, if, if you're in that category, then you should strongly consider marriage should that be available to you. Uh, finally, there's uh, one, the fifth and final thing is that singleness is, in fact, a familial blessing. It is a blessing that is not just meant for the individual, but for the good of the whole family of God. Remember, this is written to an entire church, not just individual Christians. And remember that these singles that are being called to live out this gift are being called to do so in fellowship with their fellow brothers and sisters, both married and single. Um, I think one of the most lamentable parts of when Christians fail to hold singleness in the proper esteem is that we discourage the singles in our churches from using their God-given gifts and callings. Um, singleness, as we'll get to in the second point, has some really great advantages when it comes to ministry. The Holy Spirit is just as powerfully at work in the life of someone who's married and someone who's unmarried. And our churches will never be as mature and as effective as they should be unless every part of the body is using the gifts God's given to the glory of God. So let me just encourage you, if you're here this morning and you're single, you have a place here. Uh, we, as a church, need you. We need you to serve using the gifts you have. We need the insights that you have from living the Christian life. Uh, we need you to be engaged and, in fact, to show us a type of devotion to Jesus that is slightly different than what it means to be devoted as a married Christian. So don't hold back. Don't think that somehow you need to sit on the sidelines. Now, God has intended for you to be here with the life you're living and the gift he has given you. Now, I also need to note that the gift of singleness does not necessarily mean it is a forever gift. 
Um, everyone who is married at one point was single. And many people who are married one day might be single again if their spouse dies before them. Uh, that means that you are gifted to singleness for however long God has you to be single. Would you use that time well with the power of the Holy Spirit for the good of the church? Now, to the rest of us as a church, uh, uh, for those of you who are not single yourselves at this point, I think there's a very strong application to be made here for being very careful how we talk about singleness. Uh, it's very easy to unintentionally send the signal that singleness is some sort of second-class status in the family of God. That when we ask someone, so when are you going to settle down and get married? Oh, you know, I, I love what the Lord's doing in your life right now, but when you get married, it's just going to be a rocket booster on your, your godliness. Now, again, there's some truth to some of the things we say, but there's also this unintentional idea that we are planting in people's minds that somehow being single is less desirable and even less godly. Instead, let's use our speech to hold up in high esteem which what God has given as a gift. Practice saying words like, I praise God for the way I see you living as a single. I praise God for the way you are using your life. Just say that to someone who's not married. It will mean the world to them. Um, to married, uh, my married brothers and sisters, let me also say that I think there's a, a great benefit both directions to receiving and giving the gift of hospitality across lines of singleness and marriage. Uh, when you invite someone into your home, whether you are single or married, it communicates something of the gospel in our fellowship together. And uh, maybe you've never done this, but have you, as a married couple, have you ever accepted the invitation of a single person to come over to their house, eat a meal, spend time with them? Uh, it shows great dignity and respect when you allow someone to serve you in that way. Uh, I pray that increasingly our church would grow into these virtues. I, I think we desire to them. And I see wonderful examples looking around our congregation of people that are living a sanctified single life to the glory of God. So let's be quick to encourage to show respect by expecting godliness and nothing less, whether we are married or not. All right, but what about the specifics of, okay, the, the single life is a blessing. It's a blessing to the church, but how? What specifically is an advantage of being single versus that great blessing of marriage that we talked about a few weeks ago? Well, that's what we get to in our second point this morning. Singleness enables great devotion. Uh, there are two sections later in the passage we're going to skip ahead to. We're, I'll read them briefly and then tease out two main ideas. The first one in 25 through 31 is that singleness can amplify desire for the world to come. That singleness can amplify our desire for the world to come. Let me read those verses for you. Now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. 
And if, uh, and if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. Uh, three times Paul points the attention to the fact that there is a world that's leaving and a world that's arriving and that the Corinthians and we by extension are straddling beneath the two. He describes in verse 26 that there is a present sort of distress as this world is ending. In verse 29 he describes how the present time has grown short. And then in verse 31, he said, this present world is even passing away. All of this is trying to shift our attention off of the here and now and the legitimate pursuits that so naturally humans spend all their time on. Things like getting married and having kids and fixing up your house. And instead, even just for a brief bit to shift the, the, uh, the view onto something far greater. That is, the glorious world that's already coming and in one day will fully be here. Now in this, pointing them to this, Paul's point is that there is a great benefit available to those who freely submit themselves to God's will in singleness. They can use their singleness to amplify their desire for the world to come. Now, for some, this will be something they do rather freely and easily. They would have little desire to be married. And yet they would choose to use their life that they have, the freedom in it, to yearn for the world to come. For others, it's more of a struggle. Their bodies and their hearts long for a companion. They long to be married. And yet they too can freely lay down that desire for a greater desire. That is to satisfy their soul with Christ. There's an analogy to what we're going to do with fasting coming up. So with fasting, the idea is you take a legitimate pursuit, eating. And you say, for this period of time, I'm going to stop doing it. And I'm going to use the, all the things that start happening to my body as I start picturing a Five Guys hamburger in the middle of the day. As the aroma of french fries suddenly becomes something that I just cannot ignore, right? In that moment, your body sends you a message. You're lacking something. You need food. And for a spiritual purpose, we could take that desire and say, no, what I need more is I need Christ. He is the bread of life. So I put down this desire so I can feel more my desire for him, right? Well, you could do the same thing when it comes for your longing for companionship or your longing for pleasure or your longing to be fully known by someone. You can legitimately pursue those things and it's no sin, but you also have the ability to lay that desire down so you can feel with greater degree the goodness of what's coming in the second coming of Jesus Christ. 
Now, to my dear brothers and sisters who are married, uh, would you remember marriage is a good gift, but your spouse was never designed to fully satisfy your soul. Don't lay that burden on them. All you'll do is crush them and disappoint yourself in the process. Uh, To my unmarried brothers and sisters, hear this from someone who's married and praises God for it. The blessings of earthly marriage are just but a faint picture of the true thing. That union with Jesus that will one day be ours. That is true intimacy. That is true joy. And it goes on forever and ever. And it is yours. So ask yourself, might you be called to lay down your right to seek a spouse for the sake of amplifying your desire? the love of Christ. Now, I'll just point out that this is not the way we usually give advice to each other. I can't recall a single conversation when I was single and I talked about pursuing a marriage where anyone ever stopped me and said, hey, Tommy, before you get married, have you ever thought about the fact that you can amplify your desire for Jesus by remaining single? Have you ever prayed about that? Uh, Honestly, I don't think that that is a badge of honor. I think that's the sort of thing we should challenge each other with. So I invite you, if you're single, to pray along those lines. And for those of us who are married, let's be quick to point our single brothers and sisters to the way they could pursue Christ. Maybe he would call them to this. Now, if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, I realize what I just said probably sounds about as foreign as if I was speaking a different language. Uh, We live at a time where the thought of repressing your sexual desires, of of not being someone who has the pleasures and desires of their body expressed, is thought to be to live a subhuman life. But according to the Bible, the only thing that seeking after our own desires, apart from Christ, ever got us, is a heart full of pain and an unbridgeable gap of alienation from God. Uh, The Bible calls this sin, that as we've lived to please ourselves, we've actually offended the God that's made us. And if we continue in that same direction of life, one day, we will meet him as an enemy under his just wrath. But friend, the good news is that same God that you have offended has made a way for you to both be forgiven and to be fully satisfied through the man Jesus Christ. See, Jesus came and lived a perfect, sinless life. I'll point out as a single person, as he did it, never once sinning and giving up into his temptation. He did that so that he could give his life up as a a free offering, putting to death his many desires so that he could lay hold of this joy of being able to atone for the sins of the people that would be his. When Jesus hung on the cross, and died there, he fully paid the price of the wrath of God that our sins deserve. And after that, he did something even better. He opened up a way for us to have a truly, fully satisfying relationship with God. Friend, what you need is not to find your soulmate or to live the life you've always dreamed of. What you need is to know Jesus Christ. That's the only place lasting joy is found. And for that to happen, you need to repent of your sins. You need to forsake them all. And throw yourself at the, knees of Je- uh, the, uh, the feet of Jesus and ask him to save you in faith. But friend, if you do that, you won't be disappointed. Because you will find him to be 
the thing that your heart has longed for all along, even though you didn't know it, your true spouse, your true companion, your true beloved, and he will fill you with joy starting now and forever in the world to come. If you don't know how to do any of that or if you have questions about it, come talk to me after the service. I would, I would love to help you meet Jesus today. Now, brothers and sisters, if we believe that, that Jesus really is that supremely satisfying, and then let's not pretend otherwise. Let's encourage each other, whether we're single or married, to yearn and even amplify our yearning for that return of Christ. So one thing that singleness is good for is amplifying our desire for the world to come. There's a second thing, though, and this is far more pragmatic, and that is it allows undivided devotion to the Lord in a greater degree than if you were married. That's what we see in 32 through 36. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. Uh, but the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. And his interests are divided. The unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. Paul has a very practical concern here. Each and every one of us have a fixed number of hours in our day. The only question is how many things have already spoken for a chunk of those hours? Uh, marriage is a great blessing. Undoubtedly it is. But one of the severe drawbacks of it is that much of your time is caught up in your duty, whether that's to be a husband or a wife or a parent caring for children. You have God-given responsibilities that take time and energy and money. On the other hand, if you were to remain unmarried, you have what Sam Albury calls blank space and simplicity in your life that allow a greater degree of flexibility to serve the Lord in a way that you probably wouldn't be able to if you're married. I had an illustration of that this own weekend in my own household. So um, this weekend, I had extra time on my hands. I was able to go shooting with someone who I've been working on evangelizing and spend some unhurried hours talking with them and inviting them to church. Um, I was also able to spend extra time on this sermon yesterday that I normally wouldn't get on a Saturday. And the reason why is because Precious and the kids are off camping, right? Most Saturdays, I am at a track meet, or I am building Legos, or I'm reading bedtime stories, or helping clean up after dinner. Um, all things I find joy in and are a wonderful part of being married. But undoubtedly, they limit how much time I have to do other things, even ministry for the sake of the Lord. Sam Albury tells a story in, in uh, his book about how his singleness allowed him, uh, he got a phone call from some dear friends that were uh, very suddenly thrust into a season of grieving. And because he had no family obligations, he was able to literally just pick up a toothbrush, get in his car and drive hours to go stay with them for several days. Now that would be a reckless thing for a married man to do. But a single life 
allows a greater degree of simplicity and flexibility to be able to devote to the Lord in ministry. Now, this does not, for a second, please don't misunderstand me, this doesn't mean that single people ought to be the unpaid babysitters of the whole church or that they should never have a day off or not have any recreational activities, not saying that at all. But if you freely choose to lay down your right to pursue a marriage for the sake of serving Christ and serving his body, you can powerfully show the world just how valuable Jesus is and make the huge impact for the sake of Christ. You can see in the lives of missionaries, sometimes single missionaries are able to go to places that married ones can't because having a spouse's safety to be concerned about is just not wise. Sometimes single people can pour themselves into the ministry of the church. I see your example. Some of you in our own church who do this. Taking younger brothers and sisters under your wing. Showing them how to follow Jesus. Teaching them. And investing hours upon hours of your time. Using that blank space the Lord's given you. Uh, some use it for evangelism locally. They they start evangelistic ministries, or they go and invest in a, a local mentoring club, or they find ways to get out and serve people in the community for the sake of Christ. Whatever expression this shows, when you see it, it is something to be highly esteemed. We should be the quickest to spot it and encourage it and say, I praise God for the way you use the life he's given you for the sake of Christ. So my dear singles that are here this morning, I wonder how the Lord might be calling you to use the blank space in your life. Uh, I don't know whether your life will be single for the whole thing or whether that'll just be a season. Uh, no one can guarantee you that but you can decide what you'll do with this season for however long it goes on. Would you choose great devotion, knowing what it says of the supreme worth of your Savior, Jesus? And brothers and sisters who are married, let us encourage our brothers and sisters that are single when we see them doing this well, and let's even hold them up as heroes of the faith. Not with anything defective about them. Not living some sort of second class version of Christianity. But people that are serving the Lord greatly out of the gift that he's given. Years ago, I was able to go to the funeral of one of my heroes of the faith. A man by the name of John Stott. Uh, for many decades, he had been a minister and speaker and book writer that benefited the global church, huge degree. Um, he was never married, and he in fact chose to forego many of the trappings that normally come from life in this world. Uh, even though he earned much money from all of his speaking and books, he lived in a very modest house, just a single bedroom to himself. Didn't own much aside from his books, what he needed for his traveling. At his funeral, um, I watched as a parade of men came up and described the way his ministry had impacted them. How he was, in a true sense, their spiritual father. 
Uh, it turned out that was not the only funeral like that for him. There were three of them around the world that need, uh, needed to meet the demand. Before he died, he wrote about how he thought of singleness. And I want to read a little section from that article for you. Let this encourage your heart to see the good gift that God has given us. In spite of rumors to the contrary, I have never taken a solemn vow or heroic decision to remain single. On the contrary, during my 20s and 30s, like most people, I was expecting to marry one day. In fact, during the period, I twice began to develop a friendship with a lady who I thought might be God's choice of life partner for me. But when the time came to make a decision, I can best explain it by saying that I lacked an assurance from God that he meant me to go forward. So I drew back. And when that had happened twice, I naturally began to believe that God meant me to remain single. Looking back, with the benefit of hindsight, I think I know why. I could never have traveled or written as extensively as I have done if I had the responsibilities of a wife and family. Uh, brothers and sisters, it is no sin to marry or even to desire marriage. But it is a beautiful, powerful thing when you freely lay down that which is a legitimate pursuit for the sake of desiring and devotion to Christ. May the Lord work amongst us so that we hold up the gift of singleness as something he gives us for our good and so that we can greatly serve him in our devotion. Will you pray with me? Father, uh, we're thankful for the way that you have set up the family of God, knowing how difficult it can be, particularly when one desires to be married. For whatever reason, that is not the gift that you have granted for this season. We know how difficult it can be to fight for contentment, and even how difficult it can be to encourage and to come alongside well. Uh, so, Father, we ask your grace. Would you fill up what's lacking in each of us in the body? Would we, as the family of God here in our local church, would we use the gifts you have given, whether that be to be married or single, for our mutual benefit and for your glory? And, Father, even as we come now to the Lord's table, would you remind us of this unity we have together? That no matter what our status relationship-wise is, that we are welcome to this family meal, that we belong and we are known because the blood of Christ purchased us and he has adopted us into the family of God. So even as we prepare our hearts to take of the Lord's table, would you give us a sense of spirit-wrought unity and even of joy of the way you have brought people of different stations of life and different seasons together so that we might tell the world of your goodness. Oh God, help us to do this in a way that honors you and that encourages us, each other. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.